Welcome to America's Top Rebbitzins. May this class be for the Rafua Shalima for Hadassah Bat Miriam, Talbot Rachel, Sarah Bluma Bat Yoni Baruch Ruvain, and Bina Eti Bat Shashka Elka. Please click on the subscribe button to subscribe to us on the America's Top Rebbitzins YouTube page, or click follow to follow us on your podcasting app so that you're the first to know when an inspiring new episode is posted. I'm so excited to have on today's show Rebbitzin Sterna Althaus. Rebison Sterna was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. A teacher and mentor for Jewish students of all ages, Rebison Sterna has lived in Sydney, Australia with her husband and children for over 25 years. She organizes inspiring events for women and young adults to support the role of Jewish women. Rebison Sterna teaches bridal classes, marital and intimacy classes, parenting groups, and bat mitzvah lessons while lecturing on various topics of interest to Jewish women in Australia and worldwide. She is the founder of Soul Cafe, which is a weekly Torah podcast, and she is also the founder of Women in Unity, a group in Sydney, Australia, that is geared to promoting the joy of being a Jewish woman. Rebison Sherna is also a life coach and a counselor to many women around the world, and she also teaches conversion lessons to international students with a Sydney basin. Wow, you're amazing. You do so much. Thank you so much for being here. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do. Thank you, Vera. It's such an honor to be here. <clears throat> it's a big schuss. And thank you very much for giving me the opportunity and to put Australia on your America's Top Rebison, uh, you know, site. Now we can actually bring Australia to the world. Yay! And I have to be an American, so <laughs> that's uh, I can meld both together. Yes. So thank you so much for asking. Um, I live here for 25 years and I have raised my children here. We run functions for women. Uh, basically, we have a shear every single week. Now it's on a podcast. It was earlier in Bondi Junction, which is our central business district for the eastern suburbs. And women would come through to go shopping and they drop in every single week to the cafe and learn some Torah, which was fantastic. We have made a lot of good friends and that lasted for about six years. Wow. Um, and then after COVID, uh, we put it onto a podcast. So it's a beautiful experience to learn and to teach women. And I also have a support group every single week for um, women in Shalom Bias. It's called the Harmonious Marriage Group, where we um, give women the opportunity to share, to connect, and also to bring any challenges or wins to the table, which we talk about and find you know the right way how to deal with certain situations. Um, I have a private practice in counseling, and I use a lot of the Gottman Institute information, um, who happens to be a Shomer Shabbos Jewish marital therapist, and has made a big influence on my life as well. So in addition to that, on uh, Shabbosim, I organize the Women's Shirim. So we have a very well-rounded amount of Torah learning for women in Sydney, Australia. And it, with the podcast, it's really brought it out to the world. So I really, really thank you for giving us the opportunity. And through COVID, I've realized how much Shalom Bias is a hot topic at the moment. And I've really geared all of my work into that field, how to encourage women and men to bring their marriage to a better place. Even if it's great, it can always be better. So sure. that is where I'm at. And I hope that I can be able, with Hashem's help, to achieve that today, to give some tips and techniques for women and men to be able to make their marriage even better, even greater. This is amazing. I'm so glad that you do this because your marriage is the cornerstone of the Jewish family. It really, really is. 
And we're going to be playing off this topic about Jewish marriage and Shalom bias when it comes to teens and building relationships and connecting with teens. So this is really going to be very, very interesting. Um, we're going to be talking about restoring family harmony, especially as it pertains to parenting teenagers. So um, as I mentioned, I know that one of your areas of expertise is Shalom bias, peace in the home. And the home is the foundation of the Jewish family, as we, as we were saying, when there is simcha, when there's happiness in the home, when there's open communication and honest and sincere listening, when both parents are working together as a team to raise their children, and when there's mutual respect between parents and children, everybody thrives. I mean, this sounds like a dream. It really, really does. But because in most families, parents are not on the same page about raising the kids. The teenagers have hoots, but they don't respect the parents. And everyone is so busy and overworked between school and homework and jobs and maintaining the house that peace simply goes out the door. There are arguments, anxiety, depression, and teenage rebellion. And it's so hard. It really is hard both on the parents and on the children. And we don't want all that stress and tension. We want happy and peaceful lives that are full of love, laughter, and meaning. And we also want to be confident and competent parents that guide our children. Specifically, we're going to be talking about teenagers to go on the right path. So let's start at the beginning. Can you please talk to us a little bit about Shalom Bias and give us some practical strategies for implementing peace in our own homes? Absolutely. Thank you so much. So first of all, I want to make a statement that I really feel is so important. Peace is the harmony of two opposites. That is what Shalom is. Wow. Two opposites. Man and woman, Zachar, Nekeva. We are just different beings. Hashem created us each equal, but special and different. And that is what peace is about, making harmony, harmony between the two of us. And that's why in this last week's Parsha, when we learned about one of the reasons for Shabbos candles, we saw the miracle in Sarah's tent, that the Shabbos candles lasted from one Arab Shabbos to the next. I actually heard a beautiful thing from Rabbi Shay's Taub that we know that Shabbos candles are there to bring Shalom bias because Prior to electricity, there was no light in the home and people would argue, stumble, fight over the kugel, right? <laughs> and so by instituting Shabbos candles in the seven mitzvahs of the Rabbanan, they brought the concept of shalom bias, peace into the home and just the tranquil nature of the candles. And he asked a good question, with so much electricity today, do your little candles actually make a difference? And the answer is yes, because what we're doing with shalom bias, what we're doing with the candles is actually fusing two opposites together. We're bringing the bracha into a, a wax, a candle, two different things, ruchnius and gashmius, two opposites. And yet it becomes the be most beautiful ace rut zone for a woman when she does that, when she's bringing back the light that Chava took away when she sinned with the tree of knowledge. Every Jewish woman and girl, when we bring the Shabbos candles to our beautiful Shabbos experience and we light the candles, we bring back that light. And it does bring light on a very spiritual level as well as physical, but it's more in a spiritual way where we're fusing two opposites, the Gashmis, the Ruchnias, the male, the female, right? The Shabbat spiritual and the, the spiritual and the physical. Yes. So I wanted to start with that, that that is what peace is, the harmony of two opposites, right? After Matan Torah, when we do a mitzvah, we're bringing Gashmis and Ruchnias together. And when we get married, we're bringing two different neshamas that were once together. They separated. They had different experiences, different family cultures, different, maybe different countries they grew up with. And they're coming together, two opposites and learning to be harmonious. It doesn't mean we always agree, but we're harmonious. And I found a beautiful point, you know, in the davening in the morning, my husband pointed out to me that it talks about the 13 midos in the way the Torah is explained. And the 13th one is, when there are two psukim that are opposite to each other in the Torah, 
The third pasuk comes and brings peace between them. So you have two different opinions and the third pasuk brings it together. So two different people working together. We have two different ideas, two different family backgrounds, two different cultures, two different natures, two different everything. And yet we work for the greater good. The third pasuk, so to speak, is the marriage. We're working for the greater good for the family, for the connection that we're going to bring through this marriage, which is that third item that brings us together, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, right? Marriage is a combination of husband, wife, and Hashem, and it's a triangle. And when a structure is a triangle, it's the strongest structure, right? So we bring Hashem into our marriage and we bring Shalom. Hashem can only rest where there is Shalom. So that is just a thought I had about bringing two different people together and, and in a harmonious way. And it's very, very important to realize that as great as our marriage is, we can always make it better, right? Yeah. Um, we can always spend more time together. We can always make our spouse feel more valued. We can always be more present, especially today. And it takes one person in the marriage to change the course, right? One. Everyone thinks, well, when he changes, I'll change. You can start from you and you will watch the domino effect. And it's so important to know that it's okay and not just okay, but important to daven for Shalom Bayes. We need to daven, we need siyata v'shmaya in this day and age. In Shemona Esrei, by Shema Kolenu, or at the end of Shemona Esrei, or by the Esrei of Shabbos candles, or Chala, or in the mikvah, whenever a woman has an opportunity of special time to daven for Shalom Bayes, we need siyata v'shmaya. The other thing I wanted to say is when you look at the letters of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, there was a very big concept of shalom, Godol ha-shalom, how great shalom is that no matter what, shalom is the priority. And one of the letters I found, which is so beautiful, it says that peace is the vessel that holds and sustains Hashem's blessing. Wow. Within the various types of peace, says the Rebbe, shalom bias is one of the greatest of all, right? And it's so important to know that if the Rebbe saying shalom bias is so important and above all, Obviously, that is what the case is. And it continues to say, notwithstanding the above, our sages of blessed memory have stated no two people think alike. In other words, despite the above natural differences of opinion between individuals, it is still possible and indeed necessary that there be true peace between each and every Jew. This is surely so with regard to peace between husband and wife, whose conduct, when in accordance with Torah and mitzvahs, is so meritorious that it is described by our sages of blessed memory as bringing about the divine presence residing in their midst. Okay. Wow. And so many letters of the Rebbe, but basically when people wrote about child and bias issues, the Rebbe would answer and say, uh, you will see the fulfillment of when husband and wife merit the divine presence resides in their midst. And then the rabbi always ended off, may you convey to me glad tidings that the person's shalom bias would improve. And just so you know, for those people who want to improve their pranasa, and don't we all? The money, the money and income, yes. Financial yes. sustenance. Moreover, yes. and this is of the greatest importance, as, as it also has an effect on earning a livelihood, it is imperative that peace reign between you and your wife. So Shalom Bayes is the vessel to receive Hashem's blessings. A blessing of Hashem has to have a place to be conducted through. And the vessel that holds and sustains Hashem's bracha is through the effort in achieving Shalom Bayes. And the Rebbe goes on, just one more thing I must say, even if you think you're in the right, and even when this is verily so, you should go about achieving your goals in a pleasant and peaceful manner. Indeed, this is the obligation of a Jew, particularly a chassid, to act with forbearance. When you will conduct yourself in this manner, you will meet with success in all endeavors. So there you have it. 
you know, I many people write. Isn't that beautiful? Very beautiful. Yes. I was just going to say that's really, really gorgeous. And, you know, I, I also like what you said, you know, it only takes one person to change the marriage. We don't have to wait until the other one does, you know, changes. We don't have to wait until a certain time period to change. We could start right now and it could just be us. It could just be us because yeah. when one person yeah. changes something, you know, they change a the whole dynamic. All you have to do Absolutely. is change a little thing. Yeah. Absolutely. And I just wanted to give some ideas. Yes. Uh, um, first of all, we should understand that there are so many ways to increase it. I'm just going to give a couple of little things that make a big difference in a marriage because I yeah. know we have so much to talk about. Yeah. Um, first of all, I and Toba, to look at the good. It is so important to look at the good. So many times we get judgmental and we only look at what isn't and what is not right. Are we looking at what is right and what is going well? <laughs> Excuse me, we have allergy season at the oh. moment. So it's Bless a spring you. here, opposite to you. I know you're in the fall, but we are in the spring and hay uh, <laughs> fever season. So it actually is so important to remember, why did you feel, fall in love? Why did you see the kindness in their eyes? What was it about them? And to remember those things and to remember that even if we are busy with kids, even if we're busy with life, it is so important to take time every day to sit down and talk, whether it's 10 minutes, 20 minutes, the Rebbe would sit for a half hour every single day with the Rebbitson. And he said it was as important to him as putting on tefillin. Wow. Yeah. Having tea with the Rebbitson after a long day of seeing thousands of people and doing so much for Klai Yisrael, he always had a tea with the Rebbitson. That's very powerful because it brings two people together and you get to connect. That's really what it's all about. When you're sitting down with your spouse, no distractions, yeah. no kids, no nothing. You may have to do it later on at night, but it's the connection. And that's the connection that keeps the marriage going. Yes. And I must say that I always tell my students, my callers, anyone who asks, it is so important to have a date night. People say, I don't have time. Well, is it a priority? If it's a priority, you will find the time, even an hour or two. Just yesterday, my husband and I had a two hour window. We said, let's go on a ferry. We took a ferry. We went to the city and we came back, but it was just a change of scenery, spending time with each other connecting in a beautiful way and a nice atmosphere doesn't have to cost a lot of money. It's just the time that you spend together. And this is so important to have that date night. People tell me they don't have time. Well, Hasrashan, we don't want to spend time on the therapist chair afterwards because we don't remember even why we're in this. We want to spend the time and invest in it now. The other thing is so important to remember the five to one magic ratio. Okay. People often comment when things are not done properly or they start being, you know, so critical or micromanaging. Before we give a criticism, did we fill up our spouse's bucket with at least five positives to one negative? Halavai, five positives, but even three positives that day. Did we send a nice text? Did we say thank you? Were we grateful for all the good our spouse did did for us and for our family. And you could even find things out grateful you are for how you see them interact with other people. And that positivity will spread. He'll start feeling, wow, my wife notices and he will make a bigger effort. Um, so uh, those are the positives. I want to talk about a couple of more positives before I go into the don't do's because I just think it's important. Yeah. So listen carefully to your spouse, offer a kind word, smiling to each other, Looking at the positive, we spoke about Ayantova, complimenting each other, the greeting when you come in and when you go out, right? We learn it from Shema. How do we go in and out? Do we say goodbye nicely, good Shabbos, a warm look, right? Speaking gently and lovingly, 
even though the person closest to us knows what's going on in the background, to still make an effort to speak very gently and lovingly, especially Erev Shabbos, the Lashon Raka. Oh, Erev yes. Erev Shabbos is a hard one. It's a really hard hot one. topic. It's, uh, excuse the pun, but it's hot in the kitchen, Erev Shabbos. You know, people are always rushed and it's a very, very busy time and a stressful time and a deadline. And whether or not you're ready, there's always something else last minute. Very important. The Torah tells us, Belashon Raka, to speak lovingly. I know a woman who continuously drinks water on Arab Shabbos so she doesn't answer when she hears a comment that she's not so thrilled about. That's her way of getting around it. I love But that. obviously, <laughs> obviously, you know, you want to have prevention better than the cure. Um, expressing physical affection, you know, laughing at each other's jokes, maybe put on music Arab Shabbos so it's a very festive atmosphere. So, with the stress, but you're moving to a happy pace and a happy atmosphere. I find that definitely helps. Stepping away together for a few seconds and most importantly, apologizing and taking responsibility. And that brings me to what happens if there is a situation where a fight is about to escalate or disagreement is about to become a fight. You know that moment when it's just before you're on the cusp, you could either de-escalate it or you could make it really ramp up. Russia yes. and Ukraine, here we go, right? Yes. We have the opportunity to be the one to bring it right down or bring it right up. Do we take the bait? Do we jump right into it? That's the question. And I always ask women and, and they laugh. So, because they know what I'm talking about. Are we speaking I messages? I feel uncomfortable when you don't shut the door uh, when you walk in the house. I'm just giving a very basic example. Instead of, how come you always leave the door open? How can you allow the, you know, the hot air to come into the house on a hot day? Why are you so negligent? I feel uncomfortable when the door is open. Please, can you close it? Or I feel ignored when you're on your phone and I'm serving dinner. Please put your phone away for dinner, right? If it's I, nobody can argue with how you feel. Right? right? And with compassion and love, that I message is received much better than you always ignore me at dinner. I worked hard to make this dinner. Why aren't you looking at me? Right. 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 I messages. And another thing I mentioned earlier about Gottman, I really, really respect his and his wife's work, John and Julie Gottman, their Shoma Shabbos couple. You can look them up. You can read about their love lab where they did so many experiments to see which marriages would last. So he talks about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And this is something that really, really, I, I find very fascinating. He was able to predict with very high accuracy, which marriages would last based on watching interactions. They had like a little um, monitor to check their blood pressure and to see how they were feeling if something was difficult between them. If there was a lot of criticism or contempt, which was eye rolling, name calling, you know, putting down, criticizing, or stonewalling, ignoring, not taking responsibility, defensiveness, where you are always defending yourself and not taking responsibility and saying, you know what, I'm sorry. That would be a great predictor to a marriage not being able to last its long, uh, the way it was supposed to be, the length that it was supposed to be, because um, couples can't cope. And then he gives the opposite, the antidote. So instead of criticism, you know, how you will say what you don't feel comfortable about, how to say it, use a gentle startup, right? Instead of coming right in for the fight, gentle startup. Instead of contempt and name calling, tell me more. I would love to hear what you have to say. 
no eye rolling, no negative attitude. Instead of stonewalling, you know, um, to make a time, let's take this up when we are both more calm. Let's de-escalate right now. And I'd like to add my own thing. I found that something that works very well is in order to de-escalate, reset, let's take a break and calm down. And we come back within 24 hours, but we come back to each other when we are more calm. Because when our amygdala is firing off and the upper brain and lower brain are not talking to each other, we become like teenagers or like four year, fourth graders in the playground instead of thinking through what we should, really should be saying to each other so it's well-received, right? So either take a walk, wash your face, go take a shower, go eat something, make yourself uh, something of self-care and calm down. And then we come back when we're both in a better state to receive. That's so, beautiful, yes. Yeah, I find that's very helpful. And um, in my groups, in my support groups that we talk about, um, you know, let's take a reprieve, let's take a reset. Right. And right. one of the women said something beautiful. She said, what can I say now that's loving when things get difficult? I like that a lot. Yeah. And if you permit me, I just wanted to share, I read it in a book, a beautiful book that just came out by Rabbi Gershon Schusterman. It's called Why God, Why? He shares about a story where he went to visit his son in Atlanta, who's also a rabbi. And his son was grappling with something that was going on in their extended family, a very sad tragedy, and he couldn't come to terms with it. And his father said to him, look, he knows all the answers as a rabbi, but his son is also a rabbi. He also had to counsel people. What's he going to say to him that the son doesn't know? And so he said something brilliant. He said, Eliyahu, would you like a hug or would you like a response? And his son said, I would love a hug. Wow. And they had that moment, that hug, and all the tension just melted away. So I'd like to take that for Shalom Bias. I thought if we say to our spouse when they see they're very edgy and very tense, something's going on and they don't want to share, men have a sometimes hard time unloading or unpacking it. Would you like a hug or would you like to talk about it? You know, both ways. That's really, really powerful because then you're really giving that person a choice because sometimes maybe they want to talk about it. They just want you to listen or maybe they just really don't want to talk about it. But a hug will help them de-escalate to de-stressed, you know, just to 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 relieve and release all that negative emotions they have. That's so beautiful. It's such a powerful way of doing it because otherwise, then you can start going head to head because you can see that there's going something going on with him. You don't want it to be going on with him. You want him to pay attention to you or whatever it is that's going on. And you have a choice. You can escalate the argument, as you were saying, or you could just like you yourself just take a deep breath, step back, and say, "Okay, wait a minute." Do you want a hug or do you want to talk about it? And that could really make a difference. And I'm not saying at all times, all, you know, every single situation, but I could see that working. I really could. Yeah. And also let's remember, as John Gray would say, when the men are in their cave, we can't come knocking on their door because they'll go even deeper to yes. give them space. that men do need space as do women. Yes. But, you know, women want to talk and cheer and connect. That's what we do. Well, we're nurturers. We wonder what's going on. Tell me, tell me, is everything okay? And they haven't themselves processed it. They need the space to process whatever was going on. And then they can come to us from a better place. So that's just something else I thought might be very powerful. Um, yeah. And obviously all these tools are for a healthy marriage. We're not talking about if there's abuse or something like that, that would need, you know, to be, dealt with in a different way and therapy and rabbanim, et cetera. We're talking about the average marriage where there's, you know, some days are better, some days are more challenging, the ups, the downs, we go through, everybody goes through it. No marriage 
is just smooth sailing at all times because we're different. The Gemara tells us, right? We're different and no, it says no Ksuba hasn't ever got an argument about it. There is going to be times when we have a disagreement, but how are we going to disagree? Is it going to be the key? Yes. Yeah. So that's a little bit about Shalom Bias and saying nice things, sending a nice text. I would love all the listeners to stop right now and send a loving text to their husband. Like, hi, how's your day? Do you want to go for a walk tonight? And see what happens. You might get a nice surprise. That's beautiful. I like that, especially since many husbands aren't expecting that. Like it might be something Absolutely. out of the blue where they might like that, actually. Yes, it might be a very spontaneous and you might get a beautiful response back. Check in, check in with each other. If you can't speak during the day, send a text, a message, a note in the lunchbox, just something I'm thinking about. If you go into the shops, bring back something, which actually we're going to talk about in the next question as well, which you asked about teenagers in a moment. But um, there's so much to say. It's an exquisite gift, marriage. It can be so beautiful. that We are the masters of our canvas. How are we going to draw our marriage? Are we going to make something beautiful? When all the kids move out, we still have each other and our connection and our relationship. Or are we two ships passing in the night? I love it's that. I, I love that because it is what's in our control is the way that we behave. It's our thoughts and speech and action. And it's the way that we behave. So you're right. Our marriage is our canvas to the extent it's how we act. We have the power. Like a woman has the power with her hands to build or to destroy. And I've seen women, I've seen it with my own eyes. Women take with their own hands and destroy a marriage. I've watched it happen. I have. And I've also seen women who have not much to work with. And I'm being nice, really not much to work with, you know, when their spouse and they take it and they build it up. And I am in such awe of those women who just take nothing and they make it into something. And it does happen. And it happens through the way that we act, through the way that we react, through the way that we're proactive in our marriage, through the way that we choose to interact with our husbands, because it is our choice. Even if he leaves the door open or doesn't take out the garbage or he says he's going to do something and then he doesn't do it or whatever it is, there are all different kinds of situations. We have the ability either to make peace or to make war. A lot of the times, I mean, I'm not going to say 100% of the time, but even 90% of the time, it's in our hands. It really is in Absolutely. our hands. Because the response is that moment in space. I believe Viktor Frankl talks about it. Our response, that moment that we can make a response, we have that moment to think, where am I going to go with this? Yes. Do I want to have a good night tonight or do I want to have a an argument? Where am I going with this? Because right now I have to make that decision a split second. Uh -huh. And hopefully most of the time we, we take the high road. Yes, 100%. 100%. Yeah. So, so now that we've spoken about the foundation, which is the husband and wife, the marriage is the foundation of the home. Now we can go into the parenting portion of the of Shalom Bias and of the marriage. And so we're going to be talking about parenting teens, as we mentioned earlier. And parenting teens is different from parenting younger kids. The teenage years are tumultuous. Teenagers are not little kids, but they're also not adults yet either. Teens are trying to discover who they really are. They're trying to develop an identity that's all their own. And they're pushing away from their parents in an effort to gain independence and space so that they can really figure out who they are and where they fit into this world socially, emotionally, physically, and in many other ways too. And factor into all of this, many teens are dealing with so much. I mean, our generation, between the technology, it could be bullies at school, difficulties, you know, academically, family trauma, fights with friends, even abuse of all types. And, you know, the changes in their own bodies, you know, due to teenage hormones. So they really are doing, dealing with a lot. And all this can lead some teens to become moody, disrespectful, 
distant from their parents and other family members. And um, the teenagers can really be a challenging time for both the kids and their parents. This can lead to friction and arguments between parents and teens, which, which can really damage a relationship. And teens can push away their parents and no longer trust them or want to be around them. So my goal today with your help is to give the mothers of teenagers and soon-to-be teenagers the tools they need to properly parent their child while giving them a certain amount of freedom and acceptance. And this is so that whatever hurt and damage has been done in their relationship, you know, between all the arguing, they can have the opportunity to heal and the teen can become open to receiving love from their parents again. So can you please share with us some practical strategies to achieve this goal? Sure. So teens, it's a very challenging time for them and for us, managing them and their emotional status and our own emotional status. And with all the things that have gone on in the world, I mean, I work in a high school. There's so many mental health issues on top of everything you said. So first of all, I'm just going to give you a few tips that work in my situation. Um, We all have different situations. However, some things are generic. Number one is validate, validate, validate. Like if the child is coming home and telling you that someone is bothering them at school, we have to listen. We have to validate them and take it seriously and get our school, our teachers, and the extra support that we need to get them the help. Even if it sounds like it's something small, we don't know how much the child is carrying inside. Right now, I'm not saying you have to jump off for every little thing, but when a teacher, a teenager is coming to you saying that this and this is bothering me, believe me, they've thought about it a long time before they even brought it to the parents. And we really need to take it seriously. And I often use the back door, meaning I don't always you know, tell them I am going to call the school and do this and this and this, because often they'll say, no, 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 don't tell anyone. I don't want, it's true. But on the same hand, I concern myself with maybe there's something else that I'm not seeing. I'd like to hear the other side of the story. And so gently through an email to the teacher or the school counselor or whoever, just to find out what's the temperature in the class, what's going on, what's happening between the child and the teacher or the child and the friend. It's very important. And to do that with respect and privacy and confidentiality. The other thing is you should be the first point of call that they go to. If we are the first point of call, then we know we've done something right. Sometimes parents are the last point of call after unfortunately lots of Khalila damage has been done. So they should feel comfortable to talk to you about anything. And I'm talking already from nine, 10, 11, body changes, puberty, intimacy, how, do, how does marriage work? That that should come from us. We should model a healthy marriage. And what does the Torah's view in, obviously in, in Oris de Kalem that they could take in, not just in like huge, you know, things that are age appropriate, but we should be the first point of call. They should hear things from us, not from their friends on the street or from technology and to spend the private time with them. It's so important to have private time. I have an aunt who has 14 children, thank God. And every night she sat on their bed, at least for five, 10 minutes, she called it private time. And even her older children sometimes come back and say, mommy, can I have some private time? And she knows that's their call for help. So whatever you call it in your own home, private time, can we go for a drive? Can we go get something to eat? Take a child with you when you go on errands. Let them see how you interact with the world. Let them learn about money, how to spend, how to buy, how to go on sale. You know, you buy them something special, they're going to talk. And I find teenagers talk in the car. You're not facing one-to-one. Sometimes they have an issue with eye contact, right? Yeah. If we're driving in the car, both looking forward, it takes a little bit of the pressure off. 
Um, that's For just sure. a tip that many years ago, my uncle told me, and it's so true. Um, if you have to take them out of school for an appointment, make it a little bit longer, get them a lunch, sit down and talk and look at each other eye to eye and spend that time. Buy a little gift for them when you, oh, I bought you these socks. I know you were looking for socks or you forgot your folder, your binder. I went specially, I got your pretty binder, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be expensive. And I'm going to come to my favorite topic, the five love languages. Now, it's very interesting. The Five Love Languages is a book written by Gary Chapman, but I believe he took a lot of it out of our own chuppah because under the chuppah, we see these five love languages. Let me explain to you why. They are acts of service, gifts, time, words of affirmation, and touch. Now, we spoke earlier about Shalom Bias and the five love languages certainly apply there, that a woman and a man have to understand what language of love they share together. And if it's not working, perhaps to share. Like if someone loves words of affirmation to hear how well they're doing and complimenting them and their husband is giving them uh, gifts, but that's not what they love, that doesn't do for them, then they're not receiving the love that they need, right? If someone is buying flowers for their wife, but they really want the card with the words of affirmation, you know, they have to express that. And sometimes men don't know what their love language is, but see what they do for others. Are they an active service person? Do they go running to help their mother or their father or their sister, right? Are they a gift person? Are they a wordy person? But share and understand with each other what is it for you. And we see under the chuppah, the ketubah is active service. The ring is the gift. Yichudrum is time. Words of affirmation is hare atmikudeshet. Touch is, you know, after the wedding, consummating the marriage. It's all part of our own Torah. And wow. yet this applies to teenagers immensely because a lot of parents lose the right language of connection with teenagers as they get moodier or puberty, different friends, they don't want to talk or they just shut down in their own little bubble with their social group or, or not, or they don't have a social group or they're feeling isolated. What is it that your child loves? Like I am a very touchy person. But thank God, Baruch Hashem, Hashem blessed me with seven children. One of my children doesn't like touch. I've had to learn that child would prefer acts of service or words of affirmation through texting rather than, you know, upfront complimenting to their face. They love it when I send them a message. Another child, my daughter loves gifts, tchotchkes. She doesn't want me to necessarily, you know, do other things. She wants gifts and time. She just wants to spend time with me. Mommy, let's put our phone away. We're just driving now. You know, another child does not want words of affirmation. He got very uncomfortable when I would say nice compliments. And I love that. So I thought he loved that. But no, he does not love that. He doesn't like that at all. He prefers acts of service. Take my clothing to the laundry, you know, bring pick something up for lunch. Every child has a different love language. A mother has to be very smart and intuitive and work it out. It's not always easy. Trial and error. Right. But at least you're trying. You know, another child of mine, my youngest loves hugs and touch and craves that connection. And that's what I have to give him. So we understand each other. We're on the same wavelength. But, you know, my other kids are like, why does he love getting so many hugs? That's what he loves. He's a, a touchy, feely person. I have to know what my child loves. And when I get that right, it's for life. It's it really for life. is. It, it, it really is for life. And you're right, because what you're doing is you're building a connection. That's what the love languages is all about. That's the base of it. You're building connection with your teen. You could for sure use it to build a connection with your husband, too. It's the same love languages. You know, you have to see what your husband wants. And then also with your teen. And each each child is going to want something different. It's for sure, because like you said before, we're all different people. 
And, you know, it's so interesting because sometimes like I'll see like a mother trying to like force her own love language onto a child. And it's completely understandable. I want to take them in and say it's completely understandable because we we as moms have our own love language and we feel like maybe our child also has our same love language. And it could possibly be, but the child is their own person also, and they could have a different love language. So learning to read your child, just learning to just step back and observe to see what your child responds best to can really be effective because then you say, okay, aha, uh-huh, that's the love language. And then you can interact with them according to their love language. And that, that way they can better receive your love. Absolutely. And if we make a mistake to be vulnerable and say, I'm sorry, I got it wrong. I'll know for next time. Teenagers need to know that we're human. I know it's a surprise to them, but they think we're all encompassing perfect. We're not. We sometimes don't get it right. And, you know, like Rashi said, any other day, if I don't know something, I can ask. I can ask someone, right? So um, as well as telling your child, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll get back to you and ask Rev or Revit and -and so-and-so. Same thing is if you're not sure if something's going on with your child, ask, ask someone who knows, ask them with experience, life experience. It doesn't have to be necessarily a therapist, although sometimes we do need a therapist if there's mental health issues or other, and basic, like going to the doctor and checking their iron and their D, the happiness vitamin and the energy vitamin. Maybe they're low on that and they're not eating correctly. They're teenagers and they're moody because their blood sugar is all over the place because they don't eat. They skip breakfast. Then lunch, they forgot to take lunch. And then it's dinner time, they wolf down the house. And then, you know, their bodies are not necessarily, you know, at their prime. So that affects mood. Let's remember. You're right. Oh, they're eating potato chips. Let's say they're eating potato yeah. chips or cookies. And that also throws them off completely with the sugar or too much salt. Absolutely. Makes them moody. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's a little bit about, you know, what worked for us with teenagers, we, you know, some things work better, some things you learn from experience. And, you know, I'd love to apologize to my older children. I try to do the best I can, but you learn on the job. I think my younger children are getting a different, different mom. Um, We're more experienced. We're older. We have more time on our hands to learn more and to understand more. And that's why it's important to give the tools to everyone. So they have it right when they start off. Right. And we also model on our family. And our marriage, you know, is based on our family of origin. And maybe today our children have different needs. They might need more time or they might need, you know, other type of other type of affection. And it's important that we know what works for our child. We don't just base it on our family of origin or what worked for us, right? Some kids love their privacy. And if you grew up in a home where everything was open and, you're, you know, that would be something challenging for a child. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I totally agree. And each child is different and even either different from their friends, even from their contemporaries and their, their peers, just because something works for your, your, your child's friend doesn't mean it's going to work for your child. Everybody's different. And it's really, really important to recognize that because you think, oh, my friend does this with her kid. I'm going to do with my kid. Why did she succeed? And I failed because it's a different child. Yes. And I want to say one more thing. Sometimes our kid likes a certain type of sport or game and it's not really our thing, but we should take an interest and we should check in with them. How's it going? Oh, you love basketball. Like, I don't know anything about basketball, (laughs) but my two younger kids love basketball and I want to get them the nicest ball and the best, you know, net. So they're happy and they're thriving. And then they call me, come see what I can do. I can shoot hoops. Do I know or understand it? No, but I've learned to appreciate it. And that is something that we learn, you know, it's not everything we love is what they're going to love. For example, another child 
uh, like I said, they didn't love touch, but the way they connect with me through learning Torah. We call each other other once a week. He lives in another country right now. And we talk and we say the few minutes of Parsha and Vartora. And then he tells me and I tell him, and we he comes to life with that. And that's his love language, sharing through learning and time. And it's beautiful, you know, not every child understands or appreciates that, but some would. So you yeah. got to know your child, try and check in and send them texts. How are you? How's it going? Little smiley faces. I love you. I'm thinking of you, an old photo. You try your best. Exactly. A hundred percent. So like you were mentioning modeling. So I understand that modeling behavior is the most effective way to show teenagers the proper way to act. And I think that sometimes we as parents have a challenging time knowing what to do and what not to do, you know? So can you please talk to us about different ways that we can model the right behavior for our teenager to emulate? Absolutely. Thank you for bringing that up. So, you know, I'm going to give you a couple of options here because everyone has it different. Most important is to model simcha, to be happy. You're not always going to be happy. Not everything's going to be so you know, easy in life, but to model happiness, to have a general happy atmosphere. If our home is happy, if our Friday night meals are happy, it's a magnet. The kids will come, they'll bring their friends. I put a lot of effort into modeling to my children a Shabbos table with guests. It doesn't have to be many, many guests, just a few guests, decent food, nice drinks. We talk, we we converse with everyone and they love it. They will not miss a Shabbos. And to me, that's nachas, that I model to them a family connection. That's the only time that we all sit down necessarily during the week to have dinner together. And to say to them, if I don't know something, I'm going to ask. Like I said before, Rashi said, any odeh. We'll go and find out the answer. Sometimes kids come to us with very deep, challenging questions, and we don't always know. We model to them that if you don't know, it's okay to ask, right? We model to them that there's a rav, there's a teacher, we respect them. We ask them questions. We model to them. We also offer them choices. Would you like to go to speak to this rabbi or that rabbi? Would you like me to take you to this, you know, this place on Sunday or that place? Where would you like to go out? We give them a little bit of choice. And by hearing how we talk to others, they will learn. I always share with them what I did in the day, even if they didn't see, because if I did chesed and they don't know, how are they supposed to know that chesed is important to me? Right. We have to talk about it just because we did it. It's very nice to do Pesesar, beautiful. But I think like the Rebbe said once to someone, you need to share and talk about it so other people will learn from it. So talk to them. Today, I went to visit Mrs. So-and-so and I bought her a magazine. Today, I invited this and this amount of guests. Today, Tati gave tzedakah to someone who came to the door. You know, how are they supposed to learn if they're not around when these things happen? How do we treat our parents? I sometimes call my parents on purpose in front of them. Right, to show that you're paying respect to them, that you're you're paying attention to them, that you love them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Pesach, we spend with our in-laws and we give them the biggest honor. We don't see them the whole year. They live in a different city. That is showing Kibar Av. That is showing Kabad Maram Mahorim. That is showing how we treat uh, older people. And most important, how we treat each other. This is a tricky one because everyone's in the house at all times. Teenagers can come in at all times. But if they'll see us sitting on the couch drinking a tea, oh, mom and dad drink tea together. Oh, it's Wednesday. It's date night. Oh, mom and dad have an hour or two together. Right. It's not taking away from the children. It's building them. Then they'll get married and know, oh, I should sit and drink tea with my wife. 
Let's say I want my children to say Tehillim on Shabbos Avarachim. Is it going to help for me to say, did you say Tehillim? How many Prakim did you say? Why didn't you say it like that kid? Or they watch me sitting on the couch saying as much as I can, Mom, what are you doing? I'm saying Tehillim Shabbos Avarachim. All these little messages that goes in. You know, it's important to model to them by hearing how we talk to other people, how we speak to the person at the gas station. This is all important about making Kiddush Hashem, how to be a good listener. This is something that they learn from us. Guess what? If we're going to criticize teachers and put them down, they're going to criticize teachers and put them down. If we're going to put down other people in shul, they're going to learn to put down other people. Finding the good, teaching them through a learning experience. Okay? So important. And I will say that the five to one magic ratio can work with them too. Like compliment them before you're going to bring in, I you know, a criticism or something that you need to teach them. And it's baby steps. Sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we don't, but they know that we're trying our best. And of course, the same tool about de-escalating. You said that the teenagers have emotional moods, learning how to de-escalate it and not coming in when they're on a hungry stomach, when they're in a mood from school, giving them the time and the space. And then in another time, not at the time when their amygdala is firing to come to them and talk about what happened. Um, I often will take them in the car or outside of the house to speak. So they have privacy from other children, take them for dinner, give them a warm hug. If that's at work, send them little cute anecdotes, but also don't put yourself down. They need to see that mom and dad have respect for each other and that we also have self-esteem. How do we model self-esteem? Oh, we look after ourselves. I'm going for a walk now. My body has to be healthy. I'm going to eat a healthy meal now. You know, I believe in what I'm going to do. So that will trickle down. Is that, uh, I can keep going, but is that what you had in mind? Yes, yes, exactly. Like that, that's beautiful because they really do look to us. I can see it from my own kids. Sometimes I'll do something and I'm really just doing it. For example, um, the, after you use the bathroom, you say a prayer. You say the Asher Yitzhar prayer after you use the bathroom. I have it, I have it on my, right outside my bathroom door. I've had it for years and years. This was, I'm talking several years ago. I've had it up for years and years. And all of a sudden, one day I decided to start doing it. I just, I didn't announce the world that I was doing it. I really just started doing it. And I didn't even do it out loud. I was kind of mumbling to myself, but I was saying it. And then all of a sudden, a week or two later, I noticed that my son is saying it. And I'm thinking, what is he mumbling to himself? Like, And I listened closely and it was the Asher Yatsar. And now I see him doing it all the time. There was no conversation about it. Zero. We didn't even talk about it. He saw me doing it and he picked it up. And I, it's, it's been already a couple of years now he's been doing it. But that really stays Beautiful. with me. It really does. Also, I, isn't it nice when you hear them repeating what you said to other people, like a story yes. or an anecdote, and you hear them giving other people chizok from yes. what you said. That's where they learn it, or to say Baruch Hashem, or to have gratitude, or Gamzu Latova. Whenever yes. something breaks in my house, and unfortunately, because of our floor, quite a few things break <laughs> when it drops, we say Gamzu Latova. And then, guess what? When my son spilled the milk, he knew I'm not going to get angry. He said, Mom, Gamzu Latova. I had to control myself. And that was that Gamzu Latova. Right. That's what, they, what you say in times of stress, not just in the easy times. Right, exactly. Right. Especially, maybe even more, especially in the times of stress, because because then they learn how to emotionally regulate and they learn what to do during those difficult times. So absolutely, absolutely. Thank you. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're we're out of time, but this is this has been amazing. I've really enjoyed it. So thank you. Thank you so much, Rebison Sterna, for joining us on America's Top Rebisons. We we learned so much today. We really did. And may all the learning we did today be for the Fu Shalema for Hadassah Bat Miriam. 
Talba Rachel, Bluma, Sarah Bluma by Yoni Barakruvain, and Bina Eti by Shashka Elka. Thank you so much again. Can I add one more name for Rafua? Please. For Priva Bas Fagel and um, Baruch Benyam Ben my father in law, Shalev Rafua Shalema. And I wanted to add one more thing, if I can, just for Please. one more minute. Yes. That we spoke about backdoor. It's okay to get a Bachar who's a little bit older or a girl and pay them to learn with or take our child out on a Sunday, like a big sister, big brother, someone that you emulate, and they will have a positive influence. My father-in-law always told me that when I was raising my boys, do they have a bachar to learn with once a week and then go and play footy or to go play chess or whatever? And it really made a big difference. And to also make sure that we are giving ourselves self-care, boundaries for ourselves, that there's a point where we end and they begin. In other words, that Mommy is available 24-7, but sometimes mommy needs to take time for herself and not to feel guilty about that. 110%. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And if um, we, Bezos Hashem, bring more shalom to the world, one family at a time, we know we've achieved something. Amazing. And if anybody wants to contact me privately, um, I'll give you my email address. It's A-L-T-H-A-U-S. 613 at gmail.com. That's altaus613 at gmail.com. I'm available if anybody would like to talk further and take this to the next level. Thank you so much, Vera, for the most beautiful um, hour that we just spent together. And you have a beautiful, beautiful podcast and you're really making such beautiful transformations around the world. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much.